Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. The text that was chosen that you, you see in, your, in the monitor is the uh, text in John chapter 10, verse 22 through 24. And that, uh, that particular text has to do with a question that was posed to Jesus Christ. Uh, during the Feast of the Passover, some of the uh, leaders of Israel had come to Jesus and said, we want you to tell us whether or not you are the Christ, and we want you to tell us plainly. So they were asking, actually, that, that he tell them unequivocally, with the directness, positively, whether or not he was teaching the fact that he was the Christ. Now we have to back up a little bit on this, because we're not always certain what the word Christ means in our culture, in our society today. The word Christ basically came from the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one. And in their culture, what they were looking for is someone whom God had anointed specifically for a specific purpose. Now what happened in their culture, that is in the, in the culture of Israel, was that whenever God decided that he wanted a certain person to do a certain thing, he had them anointed. And they were anointed with oil. So that when the priest of the tribe of Levi were anointed to serve in the priesthood, offer sacrifices and petitions to God and service at the tabernacle, they were anointed with oil. And when God decided that Israel could have a king, then he sent Samuel to anoint the coming king with oil. So basically it was a matter of appointing the man and identifying him and saying, this is the one. So keep that in mind. What they're asking is, are you the one that God has appointed to do a certain thing? Now what they were asking was, are you sending someone to this earth to get us out of this mess that we're in? That's what they're asking. Wouldn't it be nice today if God would send someone to get us out of this mess we're in? But we're in a mess. We've always been in a mess. They were in a, a royal mess. They, they, they were losing their stature in the Roman Empire. They were losing their position. They were losing their dignity, as it were. They were losing the trust and the confidence of the people. And they wanted someone to stand up and say, I can fix this mess. But they didn't want just someone. They wanted someone that God said, here's the one that can do it. Now, what would we do if today someone stood up and said, you know, I've got the solution for the mess you folks are in. I can stop your wars. I can fix your problems. I can help you with family affairs. I can make sure that your neighbors behave. I can stop all the wars. I can, I can do all these things. I can get you out of the mess that you find yourself in today. What would you think about that person? You'd think, well, where'd you come from? Who do you think you are to say that you could do that? Now, that's exactly 
what they were asking about Jesus because the term Christ meant the anointed one that God had sent to get them out of that mess. Matter of fact, to get the whole world out of the mess that the world was in. The word Christ was not generally applied to Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you've been reading your New Testament, you'll find that while he was on this earth, very few people recognized that term and called him that. But they were asking that question. Are you the Christ? Are you the one that God sent to get us out of this mess? Did he anoint you to do this? Well, of course, if, if they felt like someone should come to take care of that, they, they weren't certain that it was this man called Jesus. And they had asked him that question at one time, basically, in Matthew 21, verse 23, when uh, he was teaching in the city of Jerusalem, they came to him and they said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to say and to teach what you're saying and teaching? Who gave you that right? Jesus didn't answer. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll answer you if you'll answer me a question. And he said, the baptism of John, where did it come from? And they said, well, if we say it came from heaven, he's going to say, why weren't you baptized? If we say it came from God, we're in a problem. If we, if we say it came from man, then the people are going to mob us. The people believe that John came from God. He was sent from God. So they were in a quandary. So what I'm going to suggest to you is that when Jesus was here, that was what they were asking for. They were asking, are you the Christ? Are you the one that God appointed to get us out of the bind we're in? Are you the one? They thought to start with that it might be John. They were expecting someone to come. Really, they were. We don't expect anybody to rise up, but somebody stand up today and somehow on TV, TV or somewhere stand up and say, Hey, everybody listen to me. I've got the solution to all of mankind's problems. Just listen to me. I have the authority to resolve all these problems. If you get in a quarrel or a squabble, I'll settle it for you. Well, we wouldn't listen to that guy. We'd say, Why, what the, Who gave you the authority to do this? If he said, well, God told me to do it, then we'd take another look at it and make sure he's right or not. Maybe he's just a boiled egg. We're not sure what he is, but he's making that claim. And that's what they thought about Jesus. Who is he? They were expecting someone to come and solve humanity's problems. There specifically. They were in expectation. Luke chapter 3 verse 15 says, And as the people were in expectation... They mused in their hearts whether or not John the Baptist was the one, was the Christ, or not. And in John chapter 1 at verse 19, when they came to John, when he was baptizing, they came and asked him. They, they said, uh, they said are, are you the, are you the uh, who are you? Uh, are you the Christ? They were asking questions like that. Are you the prophet? And it says, uh, he confessed... And denied not, and he confessed, he says, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the one that God anointed to settle the issues of humanity, and your issues in particular. This was the pressing question regarding Jesus. Are you the Christ? Did God send you down here to take care of our problems, to settle issues? 
That was the issue. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, it says, When John heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto them, Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? Even John the Baptist wondered, Is Jesus the Christ? Is he the one that has been anointed of God to take care of our problems? And in John chapter 7, verse 11, it says, Then the Jews sought him at the feast, that is, they were looking for Jesus, and they said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, but he's deceiving the people. Jesus, at one time, healed a young man. Well, we would say he's young. He's probably in his 30s. Anyway, he was born blind. Blind from his youth up. And Jesus gave him his sight back. And and when when, uh, the rulers of Israel, of course, they were the ones that would be concerned about whether or not he's the one that's going to take care of everything. They came and questioned him. Who did this? And he, he wouldn't tell them. He, he didn't know. And so then they came to his parents. In John 9 at verse 20 it says, When they asked the parents who did this, the parents answered and said, we, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we don't know. We, or who has opened his eyes. We don't know. He's of age. Go ask him yourself. These words spoke his parents because they feared the Jews that anyone who confessed that Jesus was the Christ was going to be put out of the synagogue. They were going to lose their livelihood and their place and their their stature in society. This question was fomenting in the minds of the people all that time that Jesus was here. While he was going about performing miracles and teaching, everybody was wondering... Is he the one that God sent to take care of our issues? Is he the one? In John chapter 7 verse 31 says, Many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ comes, because they were expecting Christ to come, the one God anointed to handle the problems of mankind. When Christ comes, will he do more miracles than these that this man has done? That's the question they had in their mind. In John chapter 7, verse 40 through 44, it says, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet, talking about Jesus. Others said, This is the Christ. So the people were thinking this is the Christ. Some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? So they didn't, they weren't sure. Has not the scripture said that Christ comes of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? Well, we know where Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem. And so they were wondering about that. Now let's get down to the issue. The issue was, they said, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? And I want to tell you plainly that that was the reason why they wanted to kill him. Because they thought he was claiming that he was anointed of God. He could direct them in the way they should go. He could resolve their difficulties. He was the Christ. And they said, if he says this, if he admits this, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him. You, you wonder, well, why would they do something like that? Jealousy? Animosity? They just didn't want to recognize it. 
In Luke chapter 22, verse 66 and 67, it says, After they had taken Jesus into custody, as soon as it was the day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Are you the Christ? Tell us. Are you the Christ? Tell us. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 63, it says, Jesus held his peace. He didn't say anything. And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And he said, you have said it. But he didn't say it. Now, when he was put on the cross, the crowd gathered around while he was dying. And they hurled insults at him. And you know what they said? They said, you said you're the Christ, you can heal. If you're the Christ, come down from the cross. They slung that insult at him. Now, before I go any further, I want to tell you plainly that Jesus did plainly tell them during his lifetime that he was the Christ. If you read your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find that Jesus only appropriated that name a very few times to himself during his lifetime. The term Jesus Christ appears probably only one time in the book of Mark in chapter 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark introduces his gospel. But in terms of him saying that I'm the Christ, he didn't say it that often. And he didn't call himself Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Christ, or Christ Jesus. But after his resurrection, the New Testament fairly explodes with this term. Over 500 times is the term referred to, the term Christ, to Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, when did Jesus plainly tell anyone that he was the Christ? When did anyone plainly tell, him, tell the world that he was the Christ? The first one that said that he was the Christ was his father. That was his father. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that's when the anointing took place. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit at the baptism of John, Jesus is the Christ. And that's what this text tells us. And that happened at the very opening of his ministry. Hebrews chapter 1 at verse 9 says that he was anointed above his fellows. Jesus was anointed. Acts chapter 4 at verse 27 also mentions that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Went about doing good. So, the baptism of John plainly said Jesus was the Christ. And if we start out with the, the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus, in John chapter 4, he was passing through the, company, uh, the country of Samaria, and he ran across a woman who was at a well, and he asked the woman if he could have some water, drink water. And she kind of got into an argument with him about it, thinking maybe getting into a religious discussion. And she said, how can you, being a Jew, ask water of me? Anyway, during the course of that conversation, Jesus approached her and talked to her, and she finally said, 
in John chapter 4, verse 26, I know, she said, that Messiah comes. You know what the word Messiah means? The anointed one. The anointed one. She says, I know that God is going to send someone whom He's going to anoint. And, and she said, uh, she said, when He comes, he will, he will tell us all things. He will be called the Christ, she said. And you know what Jesus said? He said, that's me. He said, that's me. He said, I am He. So the woman at the well of Samaria, Jesus plainly told her, I am the Christ. So, when he cast out the devils, you know what they said? They said, we know who you are. They said, you are the Christ. Luke chapter 4, verse 41. We know who you are. You are the Christ. You're the one God sent and anointed to take care of all the issues of humanity and show us how we ought to behave, what we ought to do. You can settle every problem with God because He's the Christ. Peter, when he was asked about this and the apostles, Jesus approached them when they were in the coast of Syrophoenicia. And when he, when he talked to them, he said, Who do men say that I am? And Peter said, Well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And you know what Peter said? He said, you are the Christ. All of a sudden, he realized, this man can resolve the problems of the whole world. Because God anointed him. Sent him down here. That's what he said. You are the Christ. And in John six sixty nine, when a lot of people were leaving Jesus... Jesus said, are you going to leave also? Talking to his apostles. And you know what they said? What Peter said? He said, he said, you're the, he said, you're the Christ, the Son of God. To whom shall we go? You are the Christ, he said. Why, why, why would we leave you? Now, when Lazarus died, some of you may know the story of Lazarus, who was the brother of Mary and Martha, Martha and was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus died and Jesus resurrected him. But before he did, when he came to the home of Martha and Mary, Martha had confronted him, and Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? And you know what Martha said? She said, she said, I know, your Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God that should come into the world. So, when these guys said, tell us plainly, be direct about this, don't beat around the bush, tell us plainly, just, just tell us outright, are you the Christ? And he said, well, you say that I am. And that, that's all it took, and they put him on the cross. And then they, they abused him for it. But before that, there were people who said, you are the Christ. Now, that was them. That was them. How about you? Do you think this world's in a mess? Do you think we're having troubles? Is your, have you got everything under control in your family? How about your neighborhood? Your friends? Anybody betray you lately? Is there any crime going on anywhere? 
any violence? Are there any wars or any uprisings? Anything going on that would call, that would need someone to come along and fix everything? I believe so. And I think he has told us plainly that the one who can do that is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, let me, let me show you some things. The scriptures plainly say, and we have the copy of the scriptures, the scriptures plainly say that Jesus is the Christ. So all I have to do, and by the way, there are something like 360 some odd texts that talk about Jesus in the Old Testament that's, that refer specifically to him as the one who was coming. And these are at least 200 years old and maybe older. A lot of them a lot older. From 12 to 200 years old, these scriptures predicted the coming of Jesus. And when Jesus was here, he said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. So the scriptures tell me plainly that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He's the one that God sent. And he's the one that's been anointed. In Acts chapter 18 at verse 28, there was a fellow by the name of Apollos, and he was a very eloquent guy. And it says that he was, he was mighty in the Scriptures, and he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So if I, if I begin to wonder, well, is Jesus, this Jesus that we read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is he really the Christ? then I can go back to the Old Testament and no other man in history has ever fulfilled prophecies except Jesus of Nazareth. So the scriptures tell me, they plainly tell me, that Jesus is the Christ. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, From a child you have known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ. How did that happen, Paul? You found out about your faith in Christ from the Scriptures. And the only Scriptures at that time were the Old Testament Scriptures. So as we read the Old Testament, they tell us about the coming of the Christ that the world was in, in anticipation and expectation of. And then Jesus came and fulfilled that. And when, I'm, when I began to wonder, well, can this, did God really send this man... This mortal being, did he really send this man down to take care of everything that can affect my life? Yes, he did. Read the scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus plainly tells me that he is the Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 4, he says, I delivered unto you, first of all, Paul said, that which I received, how that Christ died for our scriptures, he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then He said, He was seen of the twelve after His resurrection. He was seen of twelve and then of above five hundred brethren. Five hundred other people saw Jesus resurrected. The, the resurrection of Jesus plainly tells me that He is the Christ. That He's the one with the answers to my problems. And human history tells me, plainly, directly, without equivocation, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one God sent. He's the man that came to this earth 
that God said, okay, you fix everything for me. Fix everything. Fix everything that's wrong with man for me. Fix it. History plainly tells us that Jesus is the Christ. Our history, history books, our oral history and our written history tells us Jesus is the Christ. He's the one. Acts chapter 2 at verse 22, and the reason it tells us is because he went about doing good. Now I'm going to stop just a minute and remind you of something. Whenever we look at any famous man in history or literature or politics, anywhere, look at a famous man or woman and you're going to find someone who's flawed. They have cracks in their character. But Jesus had no character cracks. He had no flaws. He did, the Bible said, he did good. That's all he did was good. He never did anything wrong. Now, now find someone in history that never did anything wrong. Somebody says, okay, I'm the guy. I'm going to fix everything. Somebody's going to say, well, let's, let's vet you. Let's, let's look back and look at your history and see what kind of guy you are. Wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't mean that. I meant I can do it from here forward. I can make sure everything's okay. No. When Jesus came on this earth, when he stood up publicly, he was without a flaw. And everything he did was good. I mean good. Nothing wrong, nothing bad. He never taught anything wrong. He never taught anything bad. He never taught any error. He taught everything right. And it was good. Human history tells us that there was only one person who's ever been able to make that claim and can make that claim stand. And that's Jesus of Nazareth. Acts 2 verse 22, Peter, when he got up to preach the first sermon after the resurrection of Jesus, he said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you also know. All they had to do was check his history. What kind of man was he? He was a man that didn't, did nothing but good. In Acts chapter 10, and verse 38, Peter was preaching to a, a, a soldier. He's preaching to a, a, a commissioned soldier in the Roman army, a centurion. And he, he, he said, uh, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He anointed Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one that anointed him. You remember? And maybe we ought to back up just a minute. When someone is presented as someone who can be commissioned to do something for everybody, he's generally... Authorized somehow. Somebody, somebody either lays hands on him and says, this is the guy that can do it. This is the guy that we approve of. This is the guy that has the authority. When God presented Jesus to do that, he anointed him. So here is what Peter is saying. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus went about doing good. Now, I'm going to tell you, he's the only man in history that has ever done that. He went about doing good. In, in Matthew 10, at verse 8, Jesus sent the apostles out and he said, uh, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. 
Freely you have received, freely give. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick. He cleansed the leper. He raised the dead. He did good. And in Matthew chapter 11 at verse 5, John the Baptist got to wondering, is he really the Christ? So he said, he, John was in, in prison. Herod put John in prison. Herod thought there for a while that John was, uh, was something special, but then he had him beheaded. But before he was beheaded, John sent his disciples to Jesus and said, are, are, you, are you the real deal? <laughs> what he was asking is, are you the Christ? Are you the one? He said, they, they, he sent, he sent the, uh, the, uh, disciple, his disciples to ask that question. And Jesus said, go tell John, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. Why did he tell him that? Because my friends, only one man on earth has ever done nothing but good on this earth. And he was the one. Jesus was the one. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Don't stumble at me. Wherever the name of Jesus is spoken, the, prayer, the, the heads of the poor can be raised. They can look up in hope and anticipation. Whenever the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is admired and, and appreciated and adored, and respected, the poor have a chance. They have a chance. The sick know that there is healing available. And the distressed know that they can have their problems solved. Whenever Jesus and His name comes on the scene and people bring Him with them, then we know that there is hope in the midst of despair. He's the only one. He's the only one that can do this. Jesus is the one whom God anointed to do good. We know plainly that He is the Christ because of the acts of charity that are inspired by Jesus, because of the acts of kindness, of compassion, of uh, mercy, of benevolence and justice. Thousands upon thousands of people go forth all over this world in the name of Jesus of Nazareth to help the poor, the distressed, the downtrodden, the sick, and the disavowed. The name of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, works good and never evil. And children plainly tell you that Jesus is the Christ. It doesn't take much to convince a child that Jesus is the Christ. And that's something you wonder, well, that's a fairy tale. Well, it's just a story. It's something that they'll outgrow. Now, that's, that's not the case that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the fact that children became human after Jesus came. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 15, when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem, He was surrounded by people. And part of those people who surrounded him were children. Little ones that were, that were not of seniority. They were small guys. And it says, When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that, that Jesus did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were displeased. 
and said unto him, Don't you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have perfected praise? The kids knew that he was the Christ. The little guys knew it. And in Matthew chapter 18 at verse 1, Jesus said, and he, now watch this, he's elevating the stature of the child. He said, Whosoever receives one such little child in my name receives me. And in chapter 19 at verse 14 of Matthew, he said, Suffer little children, forget them, forget, forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we have to understand something. And that is that in the ancient world, children were dispensable. They were generally, if they were not cared for, they didn't want them around, they were generally disposed. They were generally without compassion from adults. They were put out in the elements and allowed to expire. And that's still going on today, by the way. It's not something that happened in the archaic past. Children are not regarded as being human. They were not. Jesus humanized the child. Today there are institutions and asylums that have children that are unwanted. And because they're unwanted, the, the society doesn't know exactly what to do with them. So they institutionalize them, and they feed them, barely. They clothe them, barely. They take care of their needs, barely, without the compassion of human touch. But let me tell you something. Anyone who, who brings Jesus into that environment will change that. Did you know that? You cannot abuse a child with Jesus Christ in your heart. It cannot be done. There is a Norwegian author by the name of O.M. Bake, B-A-K-K-E, B-A-K-K-E, who wrote a book entitled The Birth of Childhood When Children Became People. We are in a situation, even in this day and age, where we are dehumanizing children. Again, we have uh, individuals who are monstrously uh, abusing children. They're taking advantage of them sexually and physically. And yet, we know that, that when the name of Jesus is introduced in that environment, and when He becomes part and parcel of that society, that that practice stops. Why? Because Jesus is the Christ. He's the one. He's the one God sent to stop that practice. And He does stop it. And uh, whenever uh, someone abuses a child, as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, if He enters the heart of that abuser, it's going to stop. That practice is going to stop. Now, that tells us plainly, that tells me plainly that Jesus is the Christ. Nobody's ever done that before. Just Jesus. He raised, He elevated the stature of children from just being something animalistic to being human. And today, our society is trying to dehumanize them again. Abortion, the abortionist and the abortion's clinic is saying the same thing again that they said in the ancient times. Children are disposable. They're disposable. 
Jesus said that's not true. There's something else. Egalitarianism plainly testifies that Jesus is the Christ. Now that's a long word, isn't it? Egalitarianism. That word means equality. And it's a, it's a scholarly word. You'll, you'll hear it bandered around in colleges or college campuses. Egalitarianism. It's the socioeconomic, physical, psychiatric, psychological, uh, educational term advanced in society that everybody is equal. Everyone is equal. Did you know that that concept of egalitarianism did not arise in civilization until the end of the 17th century? The idea that all men are created equal was not floated among humanity until the 17th century. John Locke is the guy that, that set forth that philosophy in 1693. All men are created equal is what our Constitution says, not our Constitution, but our Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. Now, that's egalitarianism. Now, what they, what they were basically trying to get away from was royal elitism. But at the same time, they set forth that principle, the egalitarian principle, that all men are created equal. And they worked on that, tried to get it worked, tried to get it uh, incorporated in our society. And in 1861 through 1865, 600,000 men more than 600,000 men on the battlefield gave their lives trying to promote that concept that all men are created equal. And we're still fighting those battles in society. We're still trying to find out how all men are created equal. Now, it's not an easy solution that to, to be able to, to stay, say that. We, we, were, we usually say, okay, we're talking about economics. Everybody ought to make the same money. That's part of the, the, the situation going on today. All men ought to be, be treated right, the same as everybody else. That's going on today too. All these things have been going on for a long time. But the idea that all men are created equal did not come from John Locke. It came from Jesus Christ. It started there. We forgot it for a long time. But it's there. Jesus said, He said, Whatsoever men should do unto you, do ye also to them. You know what that is? That's egalitarianism. That's exactly what it is. And further than that, Paul, while he was talking to the, big, the greatest intellectuals that this world knew at that time, in Athens, Greece, in Acts chapter 17, it's recorded where he said, God has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the earth. One blood. That's egalitarianism. That's exactly what it is. Now then, in, in the book of uh, Galatians, in three, chapter 3 at verse 28, we have the first, and I want to really make this plain, we have the first written statement on earth, the first statement of egalitarianism in a written form. First one. Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Notice what he said. In Christ Jesus. You are all one. That's, my friend, egalitarianism. And I believe that that was what was being promoted, that Jesus was promoting that 
through the gospel, through the word of God, he was promoting that concept of egalitarianism when the, when the, uh, the writers of the Declaration of Independence penned those words. That it was because of the influence of Jesus that they made that statement. And it is because of the influence of Jesus that if egalitarianism is ever developed completely across the board with everyone, it will be because of what Jesus said and because of what is written in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what I'm saying is, egalitarianism plainly says that Jesus is the Christ. He's the guy that can fix the problem. Humility is a virtue plainly testifying that Jesus is the Christ. Humility. Jesus taught that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. (coughs) Pardon me. And that uh, he that would be a master would be the servant. He washed the the feet of his disciples and he urged the same from them thereafter. Cicero, now you say, well, that's, that's nothing. Well, that's, that's something. That's everything. Humility was not, a, no, was not a virtue that's been taught in this world. And it's still not a virtue that's taught as being desirable. Humility says that I'm not better than you. That's what humility says. Humility says there is no respect of persons. With God, Peter said in Acts chapter 10 verse 34, there is no respect of persons. One of the reasons why this country was established and the the, uh, documents were written, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, was because that particular principle was not being exercised. There was elitism. There was royalty. There was titleism. People thought they were entitled because of their birth that they were better than anybody else. Now, humility is what was taught of Jesus. And it's not just... By, by virtue of birth, but sometimes it's by virtue of temperament. I am who I am because, look at me, I'm better than you because I have family behind me. I, I, I've become, I'm part of this family. That's what they were saying during Jesus' time. Abraham's our father. We're better than anybody else. And people are saying today, well, I can find royal blood in my background, therefore I'm better. That's what was going on when the colonies were established in this country. And that's what the framers of the Constitution stood up, and that's what they were opposing. They didn't realize they were opposing slavery, but they came to that conclusion because that's what equality means. And then they they worked to get that route as well. But this idea of snobbery, intellectual snobbery, financial snobbery, royal snobbery, elitism, you know, you cannot hold a title in this country, in the United States. You cannot be called Lord this or Lord that or Lady this or Lady that. That is illegal in this country because that's not egalitarianism. Okay. Humility. Humility is a virtue. That's what Peter said. God is no respecter of persons. And James said the same thing in James chapter 2 at James chapter 2 at verse 1. That let no man have the faith of Jesus Christ with respect of persons. Humility tells me, the advancement of humility tells me that Jesus is the Christ. Cicero wrote this. He said, rank must be preserved. Jesus said that elitism and entitlement was contrary to the laws of heaven. In the heart of Jesus, as a son of God, there's no room for favoritism, no room for privilege, no room for caste distinctions, 
No room for titleism. Everybody is one in Jesus Christ. In the early church, one of the early Roman writers said that in the early church, he observed this, that when a servant or a slave came into a Christian assembly, that the master of that slave or servant was required to wash that guy's feet when they came into a Christian assembly. My friend, that's humility. And that's taught, that was something that was unheard of. And certainly it's unheard of even today. Humanitarianism plainly testifies that Jesus is the Christ. Humanitarianism. That means that, that we believe that everyone as a human being has certain rights, invaluable rights. That's humanitarianism. And there, I think uh, there are universal laws of humanitarianism, universal rights of humanitarianism, and we, we say that there, there are a bill of rights that we have today in this country. But humanitarianism plainly testifies that Jesus is the Christ. And you want to know how? You, you know the name of Genghis Khan? You probably do. He was a, he was a Mongol invader. Genghis Khan quoted Conan the Barbarian. You know him too. And he advocated the same principles that Conan did concerning his enemies. You know what they said? They said, what is best in life? Crush your enemies. Drive them before you. Hear the lamentations of their women. That was the theory and the, and the, the concept and the philosophy of the ancient world, and it's not much changed today. But you know what Jesus said? He said, forgive your enemies. Pray for them that curse you. Do good to them that abuse you. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Forgiveness abolishes the enemy. So, you know what? I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe He can solve the problems. If I let Him. If I let Him. But you know, you know what? He confessed. Jesus has confessed and everybody else has confessed that He is the Christ. History confesses it. Children confess it. Egalitarianism confesses it. Goodness confesses it. Humility confesses it. All the, all the aspects of the life of Jesus confessed that He is the Christ. You know what's left? It's left for me to confess it. I need to confess that. Can He solve my family problems? Yes, He can. Can He solve my neighborhood problems? Yes, He can. Can he, can he put me on the right course? Yes, He can. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I would urge you to make that same confession. Thank you.